They have forgotten God. Fornication and adultery. The sickness was not visible like smallpox, but no less dangerous and contagious, the sickness of the mind. You see, Ralph was a homosexual. More often than not, divorces are very ugly. The individuals separating tend to temporarily go insane and frequently battle over finances, custody, and countless trivial absurdities. And unfortunately, when there are children involved, they commonly become the ammunition to be used in these fights. My siblings and I were not an exception to this norm. Now that Sandra had decided to divorce Neil, the decision she would be forced to face would be unimaginably difficult. The Story of Sandra Marie Episode 7 The Ammunition knew I had to divorce him and over the years you know once in a while at the beginning of the abuse he would say I'm sorry and you you you, you think he's not going to hit you again but after 17 and a half years I knew he was going to hit me again and he wasn't going to change I told him I wanted a divorce and at first he goes great and he goes out and files for divorce he beats me to it because he's going to file for divorce that's fine with me I don't care I just want out and then he decided we needed to go to therapy together. And I didn't really want to go to therapy, but I did. We went to therapy, and any time the therapist told him he had to change something, he'd get mad and leave. <laughs> he wouldn't finish the therapy session. <laughs> and so that was useless. And then the therapist he wanted me to go read this book, and I thought, I cannot believe this. This is just more shit, <laughs> you know? But he gave me a book about forgiving myself. And at that point in my life, I had been told so many times that it was all about me, that if I changed, he wouldn't hurt me anymore. And I went away, and I read that book. You know, I had a week, and... I actually arranged, and Neil was totally okay with it, to go somewhere where he didn't know where I was, and I was going to spend three days, and I'm going to read this book and contemplate and write all these things about forgiving myself and, and forgiving him and all this stuff. But most of the book was, before I can forgive him, I have to forgive me. And I thought, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not going to forgive me. He's the abuser. And it just, I read the book totally wrong, you know. And so I came back in, and he met me at the therapist's office. We went in, and I didn't even sit down. I gave the therapist the book and said, this is just stupid. I probably swore. I said, I am done. I'm angry at you because you gave me a book to tell me to forgive myself. So he'll stop beating me? I said, it doesn't work that way, and I stormed out. And that was the end of that. And then all hell broke loose because he knew I was going to divorce him. And in a previous conversation years before, he had told me, we, we, we were calm, we went to, and I know it was Chuckarama, 
we were eating our lunch, and I calmly said, Neil, do you even love me at all? And he very calmly said, no, I stopped loving you the day you had the hysterectomy. And I thought, and I said, that's probably really true. And I don't love you either. And if there was any love that I had for him or he had for me, we killed it. With all our fighting, we, there was no love for each other at the end. And yet, even though he didn't love me, he didn't want me to divorce him. He was very, very angry and kept saying, we can do something, we can do something. But there's a point when, you know, if you're not willing to change yourself, every time a therapist says you've got to change, you storm off. There's no way you're going to stop beating me. You're not going to change your personality and you're going to kill me. And so he moved out. He agreed to move out. And at the beginning, I was hoping that I could stay in the house and I could stay with the kids and it would work out. But I got a job at Domino's Pizza and my youngest daughter was only five and so I wanted to stay home during the day. So I delivered pizzas uh, in the evening and I usually get home anywhere around between 11 and 1 depending on the pizza orders and what day it was at night. And we had this big, huge screen TV in our living room. And I one, one perk that was great, because I was very short on cash. Neil wasn't short on cash, but the minute the divorce came, all the uh, bank accounts and everything was closed. And he said, you go get a job to support the kids. And we all agree. And so anyway, the kids ate pizza almost every night, because if there were any extra pizzas or any mistakes and that we're all saved up on a hot heater and then we all divided it up and I saw I was bringing pizza home all the time but also I would fix the meals before I went to work and and I, I know it really bothered me that I knew the minute I went to work he would be there he would eat with the kids he would watch the big screen tv and he did that many 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 nights and I'd get home at 11 or 12 and the kids were already in bed and he would come out into the garage and, and meet me and pick a fight, say mean things, hit me. I was terrified of the man. That it, and then he'd go home to his apartment. I knew it wasn't working. I wasn't going to be able to be in the same town with this man because he was out of his mind, just totally out of his mind. And the kids later, after... I did move to California, found that he had even went to the spy store and had tapped my the phone wires. And so he knew every call I made. He was just too overpossessive. And so here he's spying on me. He knows every move I make. I have no privacy. He comes and beats me up, and it's just escalating and escalating. And I'm ready to write, run over. If, if he was in front of me, I'd run, I would have run over him in the car. You know, I was ready to kill this guy. And so the fights were very, very bad. Neil 
Michael's insatiable rage was flourishing. He was out for blood. Sandra had never told anybody about his abuse. She neglected to make recordings or to take photographs of her bruises. She had never made any police reports. Mr. Smiles was a respectable member of his community and church. The legislative system in Utah was interwoven with Mormonism and therefore very intolerant toward homosexuality. Neil would never let Sandra have the children peacefully, and neither the court nor the church would help her. Sadly, she was really only left with one choice. That's why I had to go to therapy, because I was, I knew I was going to have to leave the four things I cherished most in life. To have, I don't know if I can do this, to, to have to leave your children, and they're the only joy you have in life, was traumatic. But I knew that I had to do it. It was almost not a choice. It was a choice, but it was a choice. Do I live and get to see them as often as I possibly can? Or do I die and see them from heaven? That was the choice. So I knew I was gonna have to leave you. It was the hardest thing I did in my whole life. Um, I keep forgetting what you tell me to write about because it's so emotional. Yeah, I mean, so, to talk about. So then, yeah, so you had to go to therapy, and then at one point, that was the hardest thing you had to do, and you had to tell us. Oh, yes, that, I had to tell you. Okay. Yeah. And so one day I took you into my oldest son's bedroom, and you were all sitting on the bed, and I told you that I stopped loving your dad in April and that I was moving to California. I don't remember everything I said, and I don't remember all your action, your reactions. I know we did a lot of crying. I explained to you that I, I was gay, and that I had, I think I probably told you that I knew I was gay from childhood, but I tried very hard to be a, a good wife and mother, and, and I wasn't leaving your dad because I was gay. I was leaving your dad because he was so abusive, but I was gay, and I wasn't going to be in a relationship with a man. My next relationship was gonna be with a woman. And over the process of getting to know Beth, Beth was a lesbian, and I didn't know that at the beginning. Um, and she became my first girlfriend after the divorce. And I, I don't know if I told you that in that talk or not, but that's probably something like that that I, I said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what it was. And then that like that part's probably cloudy for all of us. I don't think we would any of us would be able to remember the exact details of 
Yeah, it was uh, very traumatic. And that whole time period was so traumatic. I don't think any of us would be able to remember how many months that went on for, how long you worked at Domino's, because the whole thing was just, it was an explosion of absolute hell. Yes. The day I left, you signed the house over to your father. He told me I could come back and get my stuff because I just had the one car. And uh, he told me I could stay there for a few months until I could work things out. But the day I signed the house over to him, because I didn't have any money, but part of my child support was I gave him my portion of the house. And the house was mortgage-free. So that was like giving him $200,000. So he kicked me out. He told me I had to leave. So I pack up my stuff. I load up the car, and I was taking out my suitcase. And he picked, I was coming down the hall. We had really long halls in this house. I was coming down the hall, and he's screaming at me, and he picked up my suitcase and hit me in the head with it. And my son, my oldest son, came out, and touched him. I grabbed him. I, I don't think he was really forceful, but he said, Dad, just let her go. Just let her go. And that's one th other thing I haven't touched at, but that was one of the other reasons why I knew I had to leave the relationship was because my sons were starting to interfere with the fighting. They were getting older. They're trying to protect me from their father. And I didn't think it was a good thing that their father, their sons had to fight with their father to protect their mother. It, it was just such a screwed up mental mess. But that was a very hard, hard, hard day for everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what can you say what can you say when your mother's falling apart across the table uh, no that's good i like it because i mean that's good and you know i i expected we were there was going to be times during this that we were going to get really emotional right and, and that's i think that's good because i think some of these places it's important for us to go back to and visit like not just you but us too and i think that you know, there's there's pieces of that story in all of us, the four of us that we're holding on to. So much happened to all of us at that point psychologically in that house. Mm -hmm. You know, that it was that house, those four years in that house that you were there. Were a nightmare. Were just, just a nightmare, absolutely a nightmare. Um, where there was very little joy. Right. When I think about the previous years of my childhood, and I think we all feel this way too, there's a lot of joy. You somehow managed to do that very well. I tried very yeah. hard to make the house a happy house Yeah, and when, when he wasn't when home. When he wasn't home. And, and even when he was home, it was just, I don't really remember him. You know, I just remember a lot of, a lot of fun things. I remember a lot of fun birthday parties. I remember playing games with you. I remember making home videos. I remember lots of, I remember being artistic and we had good Christmases. And, but when we got to that, that Murray house, it was just Christmas became a nightmare every Christmas. And, and you just started to break completely and you couldn't hide it from us anymore. And you would try 
but and I don't know how it was with them, but for me, like just watching you there, it was just uh, I was dead inside. You were dead inside, yeah. And like I remember, for some reason, he always chose Christmas as one of the big things to freak out on. Well, he, he loved to freak out at, at things that meant something. Yeah. And like every vacation, and we went on a lot. He always lost his temper, and then that ruins the whole vacation. Why are we trying to have a family activity if you're going to blow your court? Mm-hmm. You know. Sandra hoped that leaving the children in Neil's custody would be safe for them. After all, he was financially well off, he had never really been abusive toward them, only her, and she thought that after removing herself from the situation, he would eventually calm down. And though it would be difficult at first, eventually the kids could have two stable parents. Unfortunately, her hopes would never manifest. Neil would live out the rest of his years without ever changing. Without Sandra in the house, it didn't take long for him to turn his joy for hurting people toward his children. There are many other stories from each child's perspective filled with dread, anxiety, and torment at the hands of Mr. Smiles. But again, this is Sandra's story. So while us kids were somehow facing the cruel reality of living without our mother, Neil was hard at work continuing to use us as ammunition. My mom had met a friend many years prior Beth, who during the divorce was consoling her and giving her strength. As she found out, Beth was also a lesbian and would later become her girlfriend. I had to ask her if I could come live with her. And she wasn't sure. You know, it was okay for a a night or two of escape, but she wasn't sure she wanted me as a permanent roommate. But, um... She finally said yes, and so then I decided I was going to go there because, and I had looked into what kind of jobs, and I was used to a lot of money, and I knew that I wasn't going to have any. I I had not graduated from college. What was I going to do with my life? I could do taxes, but I wasn't an accountant, but I knew how to do taxes very well, but I had such a nasty taste in my mouth for taxes because the abuse always excelled during tax season because of the stress. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do taxes. I rebelled against that. So I knew I had to find a new career. And I heard that massage therapists can make up to $100 an hour. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go down and become a massage therapist. And so she let me come and live with her. And I went to massage school and became a massage therapist. But I knew that if I was across town, it wasn't there. the fighting was never going to stop. Even though we're getting a divorce, you kids are still going to go through all this, and somebody's going to end up dead. And so I knew I had to get out, and I knew I loved California. We, we all loved California. Um, Neil loved California, and he was very angry that I chose to move to California. I had a condo down there, but he wouldn't let me go to the condo. He absolutely, he's, we're going to sell it. We're going to rent it. And so we started to rent it. He wouldn't live, let me live where I could, I could live. You know, I was going to have to pay for everything if I wasn't with him. And uh, in fact, we had a van that I drove for years and years and years that was paid for. 
And then we had an, another two cars. He liked to ride, drive a BMW, and we he bought a Toyota Camry. And there were payments on the Toyota Camry. The reason we had three cars was because one was in California. He made me take the car that had the payments, and he kept the van. You know, it's like, and he knows I'm not the one that's making money. He's rolling in the bucks. And yet, during the divorce, he's an accountant. He knows how to hide everything. Made the judge and everybody think that he was poor, and it was just ridiculous. The aftermath and the and the struggle with Neil went on for years and years. And but at the beginning, it was real intense. And the divorce was actually a joint custody. But when I out, moved out of state, then that made that change. And it was like I could see you um, one weekend every month, and all summer long, and every other holiday and stuff like that. And that he was supposed to let me call and talk to you and have communication with you. But when I got down there, every time I tried to call, he'd say, you weren't home or you were busy and, and didn't want to talk to me. And so it was getting to where I wasn't being able to talk to you. And I decided to go get a 1-800 number just for me. And I gave you kids the number. And I told you, now, you can use this on any phone. We didn't have cell phones then. Any phone, your neighbor's phone, uh, your grandma's phone, and they don't have to pay for the long-distance phone call. That my, that would be my responsibility because it's a 1-800 number. And that's the only way I could talk to you guys for very long is if you would go to a friend's house and call me. And uh, then when I would write letters, I would write a lot of letters and then discover that they weren't being given to you. And that frustrated me a lot. But those are just things that actually happen a lot with divorce. Uh, fathers are constantly complaining about that. In fact, I went to the library once and saw a couple of books written by fathers how they really wanted to communicate with their kids and it was really difficult for for them because the the mothers weren't that, they, they're not that nice. And they use the children as a weapon against the other person. And that's a real tragedy in divorce. It would just be wonderful if people could say, you know what, we don't love each other anymore. Let's just separate and be amicable and and not use the kids and help help them. It would, but that isn't human nature. Yeah. But. Next time on the story of Sandra Marie. Despite the tremendous difficulty living away from her children and the continued harassment from my father, Sandra finally begins to be true to herself. Liberation, freedom, real spirituality. Stay tuned. <laughs>